this morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Well, James Boyd, the last time you set your alarm for whatever time <laughs> it was set this morning was when? I can't even remember, honestly. It might have been a, a drive home to see the family or something like that, but usually I'm like, hey, I'll see you all whenever I just get there. So, Not for work purposes is what you're saying. No, not for work purposes. This reminds me of getting up for like basketball practice before school or you know <laughs> trying to get some extra work in and get on the coach's yeah. good side mm-hmm. okay let's uh we'll, we'll do a three-on-one drill here and uh <laughs> get back in a fast break situation we do have a half court uh basketball uh, court down in the basement if you want to get some uh shots up here after the show <laughs> uh, good wednesday morning to you that is the voice of james boyd from the athletic i am kevin bowen mark dykton is with us as always and before we get any further in today's show um, our best wishes to the Sweeney family. That would be Andy, of course, and his wife. I cannot imagine the life events that they have gone through over the last now month plus. First off, obviously, Andy taking this job here and, and uh, him and I with the wake-up call of KB and Andy that you guys have heard now for, I, I guess, close to a month they also just moved here permanently to the Irvington area. That move happened 48 hours ago. And then last night at about 6 o'clock, we're sitting there on our front porch. It's my wife, Max, Rosie, and I having dinner. And Andy calls me. And James, I, I don't know if you're this way, but like anytime someone calls you that you're not used to calling you, you're like, oh, shh, Nike. So uh, Andy uh, alerts me that... Uh, his wife is heading into, I, I, I think, be induced. I, I, I'm not 100% sure on if that happened last night or if it'll happen today. Or, you know, certainly they're going to take a look um, at her situation. But she is in 35 weeks, is in the hospital right now up at a community. And I hope everything has gone as smooth as possible as they welcome their first kid into the world. So, James, if you needed any more reason um, to listen to our conversations in the media room and just uh, take in birth control that way, you can probably hear about the Sweeney <laughs> story and, and, and think that can add to it. But no, in all seriousness, definitely, you know, prayers up for their family. Hope everything goes smoothly. He's a great guy. I met him a few times in person. So excited for him and his family to obviously get to the other side of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, knew, I knew something was up because you called me yesterday. I know. And I was like, Kevin never calls me. Usually we're just texting. Yeah, especially at that hour. It's yeah. like, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. That's peak like witching hours, I feel like, for the Dyketon <laughs> and or Bowen family there. So um, I know Andy, uh, he kind of had a long tweet thread last night about it and certainly rooting for his wife big time and uh, mentioned that the baby is kind of close to like six pounds. So I guess that's some good news. You know, when you look at a 35-week delivery, that obviously very early. So we will keep you posted on that and hope that everything um, goes as seamless as possible for the Sweeney family. Again, good Wednesday morning to you as you walk to your car. On this Wednesday morning, it's going to feel crisp. It's going to feel <laughs> a bit fall-like. Uh, I think that's very welcome. Stephen Holder going to join us at 8 and Michael Lombardi at 8.30 from ESPN. I think we'll get a little bit into the Jets situation with Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM. You know, he was the one that was on the other end of the Trent Richardson Colts trade back in 2013. So running back trades, uh, he's the one that I guess you could look at fleece the Colts uh, if you want to look at that (laughs) 10 years ago. I guess we're kind of approaching the 10-year anniversary of that now that I think about it out loud. James, let's actually start there. Um, You surprised at all? We didn't see anything more of substance from the running back moves yesterday for the Colts? 
I am, but we'll see what happens later this week. But I, I think they have to get someone, right? I mean, at this point... With I figured it would be yesterday, though, because they get back to practice, practice today. Yeah, but... <laughs> I said this about the cornerbacks at the beginning of the season. Is it a, just a built-in excuse where they're like, hey, you know what? Probably weren't going to be this good this year anyway, so let's just roll with our rookie quarterback and see whatever happens because... He gave him a chance. He was not running for his life like other quarterbacks had last season. So I guess you feel like you know he was put in a position where he wasn't in harm's way. Now he has to get down on some of those plays and, and slide, which we haven't seen yet, KB. Um, but I, I was a bit surprised. But at the same time, like I said, I think that they're looking at it or could be looking at it like, hey, you know, let's you know get some experience for our rookie quarterback, see what else we got on this roster, and you know if we don't win a lot, who cares? And I'm not going to come out and say that, but. That's the vibe that I'm getting. If you're not going out and get somebody, because I mean, you don't have any options. Yeah, you know the the vibe I also kind of got yesterday, James, by the lack of moves. Because all we saw was Evan Hall, the rookie, go to injured reserve, so he's going to be out for at least four games. Jake Funk gets brought up from the practice squad to the 53-man roster. Uh, then they swapped out running backs on the practice squad. They had Jason Huntley go off. They brought in Tyler Goodson, kid that ran at Iowa a couple years ago. Obviously, nothing of substance right. in those moves. I My assumption is Zach Moss is going to be the starter on Sunday, right? He's got to be. He's got to be very close. I know that you know Shane Steichen said, "Oh, he's progressing," which becomes a theme word, I guess. For it's either you got a little injury, <laughs> or, or, or you're progressing. Yeah. And so I Not think a lot it's, of detail, from right? Shane. It's probably smart from him or some gamesmanship there, but he has to be ready to go because you know if he isn't, what are you? I mean, Jake Funk, Deion Jackson going to be your starter after what he just did this past week? I, it has to be Zach Moss, right? Yeah, and I don't know if this is like. We just watched one of the worst running back performances in franchise history, so maybe like our bar is so low that my intrigue all of a sudden is there. But I am kind of curious what Zach Moss is going to show. You know, late last season, James, and obviously a season to forget, and late December, early January last year, the furthest thing on the minds of Colts fans or us covering the Colts was like, oh man, Zach Moss had a 100-yard game. Like, he, he had a career high for what it's worth in the season finale against Houston. You know, he will see Houston coming up on Sunday in all likelihood. You know, Zach Moss is a former third-round pick. Uh, he is in a contract year. He never really got a true opportunity in Buffalo. I'm sure you could make the argument that he never maybe earned that opportunity because not like they have had an abundance of running backs next to Josh Allen over the years. When you traded Naheem Hines to Buffalo last fall, Zach Moss in the fifth-round pick is what you got back in return. And again, he did have you know three or four decent to notable games to close out last season broke his arm early in training camp has been out for six weeks um, he at least has a resume and at least is you know again he was a third round pick I mean that's decently high for a uh, for a running back so um, I am somewhat curious heading into Sunday of okay if this is the guy for the next three weeks what does he look like and then of course once week four gets here and gets done that's when the Jonathan Taylor storyline becomes sizzling hot again absolutely I think that it got a little bit hotter after week one. You see a lot of voices shift from, oh, we can just replace that guy to, oh my gosh, we need him. If we had him, we would have won. But I looked into some of the advanced stats. I know, you know, people might not be the biggest analytical, you know, group out there, but the advanced stats basically said that Zach Moss, while he's not JT, he was serviceable in that role last year when JT went down. That's basically all you need. Yeah. Like the Colts mm-hmm. 
You need competency. Yeah, you didn't have competency it, there. Exactly. I mean, when you have 25 rushing yards by your collective running backs, that's not going to cut it. I know that Shane Steichen mentioned yesterday, um, you know, or or, the, or actually on Monday, that, yeah, we um, had 65 rushing yards. And, you know, we got to get better at that. And I wanted to tell him, like, yes, because 40 of them came from your quarterback, the guy who, you know, is very talented, but you don't want to put so much on his plate to the point where he feels like he has to make the Superman play. Right. And the guy that got banged win. up. Because of that, and mm-hmm. I think that was part of him being youthful and, and realizing, hey, you're like guy's a lot faster in the NFL, but also it's he's pressing. I need to do something because I don't have that support behind me. You wrote a great story coming off of Sunday's game, and I want to get to that here throughout the show's pretty much a minute-by-minute detail of what Anthony Richardson's debut was like. Uh, I really enjoyed the read just because I think it's a a unique way to look at what is such a monumental day for Richardson. There was also a a comment that he had post-game that I think should be encouraging for Colts fans. And I find myself walking away from Richardson media sessions thinking, boy, this guy does have a pretty impressive knack for, I think, acknowledging things that need to be acknowledged. And at times I'm kind of reminded, like, oh, yeah, he's 21. And, and, (laughs) oh, yeah, there are only, you know, 13 and now 14 starts on that resume. Um, Do you think this is the most Indiana State gear that's ever been worn in the studio outside of JMV? It might be. That's I a mean, nice sweatshirt you got there. Yeah. Flash that for the for, for the YouTube audience out there, okay? <laughs> Shout out to Homefield for hooking me up. Um Look at that. Yeah, I got a buddy that I used to cover in the region, Northwest Indiana, uh-huh. at Calumet High School, and he's now in Indiana State as a running back. His name is CJ and uh CJ Cooper. And uh he's a good kid and I told him I would support him wherever he went. So told me he was gonna go division one, went to I think he did a prep year somewhere and he made good on his promise, so that was pretty cool. Got the gear on early this morning. Yeah, I got my Larry Legend hat on here, so that's my Indiana State. I want to see the statue here. in person because I just feel like that I, that's something I have to get off the bucket list. You got to get Indiana. a trip to Terre Haute in. There you go. Well, JMV would be all all over that. <laughs> I, if we have a chance today, might be a little bit later in the show, I do want to talk a little bit of Pacers with you. I know you obviously have a uh, cover the Pacers and mm-hmm. have an affinity for the NBA, and um, I think you and I both were kind of into the World Cup a little bit. Yep. Uh, I always find it intriguing when you know all these guys get together to play internationally. I, I'm also you know kind of amazed at times, like man, these other countries can compete and obviously beat the United States mm-hmm. to the level that they did with the U.S. suffering what was it three losses uh, in their final four games there. And I was thinking on the drive end as well. I mean, we are less than a month away from the Pacers playing a preseason game. Like, yeah, I, I know it can get lost in the shuffle, but. You know, Tyrese Halliburton certainly is back from the Philippines. I assume, you know, he will have a relatively quiet training camp with how much extra basketball he has played here as of late. Um, But I do think it's a fun time for Pacers fans to have intrigue with this season. Uh, Last year, you saw flashes of it. Um, And I do want to get to a little bit of Pacers because uh, they did have a guy in the World Cup and Daniel Tice take home the gold. I was going to say, maybe not the pace you expected to become a (laughs) world champion, but they had a squad. They had a lot of NBA players on that team. Dennis Schroeder uh, being the top guy on that team. He's down in Toronto, I believe. And I thought it was indicative of how the international game is played. It's more physical. You need bigger bodies. And... All those ticky-tack, you know, just running there and yell, hey, you know, and the ref gives you a call. That doesn't happen in FIBA, which I actually like. You, you like the physicality of it? I do. Yeah. I do. I do think that the game, you know, I'm not going to go back to, 
my dad's here and say, oh, it's soft and, you know, you should be throwing elbows and Jordan rules and stuff like that. No, but I do get annoyed when you got guys who just literally run into somebody else and just scream and it's like, oh, two free throws. Mm -hmm. doesn't happen in international play. And I do think by Tyrese having that experience and coming back over here, hopefully it kind of, you know, pushes him the ending, maybe frustration, whatever it is, drives him to really power this Pacers team into, you know, playoff contention. Do you do coffee? I don't. So this is just all natural for you waking up at this hour. Yeah, it's all trying natural. To, trying to gut it out. I figured if I made it through college without coffee and energy drinks, I just would never probably go to it in life. Yeah, so I, I was the same as you. I made it through coffee. I made it through the first, whatever, handful of years, maybe a little bit more than that, into my post-college adult life without coffee. And then all of a sudden, kids showed up in the Bowen household, <laughs> and coffee has become irritating. For the most part, I'm usually just a one-cup guy. Um, I do think if like there is a prime time, like Thursday night football, you know, I might get to Thursday and we're at the complex. I'm like, all right, let's have a second cup of coffee because I want to watch Vikings and Eagles into Thursday night there. Uh, Mark, are you a multiple? I mean, I've got my cup of coffee. Mine right here. And then, yeah, there's probably <laughs> another one coming later today because three girls need a lot of energy. See, I haven't made it to that stage of life yet. And I, again, as I always tell you, I don't envy it. I, I love being the, the selfish <laughs> no. single dude. You just wake up when as you want you should, to. man. <laughs> Soak that five, up. Five kids between Kevin and I right now. So yeah, five under we're six up right like a, now. Uh, Partridge family bus. <laughs> we are. And again, uh, shout out to the Sweeney family. Hope everything is going uh, as smooth as possible. For those that missed it here, James Boyd is going to be with us throughout the show today. He got the call late last night out of the bullpen as uh, Andy and his wife uh, hopefully are going to welcome in their first kid coming up uh, at some point. Thirty-five weeks, so a little bit early. Um, but we've got great medical care and certainly great OB care here in Indianapolis. So a smooth process up at Community for the Sweeney family. Again, good Wednesday morning to you. Plenty of cult stuff to get into today. Again, uh, touch on James's story, detailing what Anthony Richardson's debut looked like. Uh, we'll run down what it looks like for the running backs as well heading into week two. Frankly, I think this is one of the easier games on the Colts schedule coming up on Sunday. Um, and I think the fact that they are a favorite is something that they probably deserve. I know your opponent has a lot to do with it. We also heard from uh, special teams coordinator Brian Mason yesterday, uh, in, in my opinion, that late punt in the game. That was the play that totally turned what could have easily been a week one win for the Colts. What happened on that play? What were the issues? We'll share that with you coming up as well. Now, Mark, your re-entries are always on point. This one here? Well, you said that Stephen Holder had a bit of a sore throat the other day. so if he's if He was he, gutting I, it out earlier this I week. I asked him if he was up for it. He said he should be good to go, but just in case. Yeah, I act like the man is on IR. He is fine. He was Let me clear my throat. He's I fine. thought that was appropriate for I, a re-entry. Absolutely <laughs> tremendous per usual from Mark Dighton. James, I have gone to bed before, like on a whatever, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and thinking there is no chance this voice is going to survive three hours the next morning. actually bought off Amazon this like voice spray. That literally you spray in the back of your throat and all of a sudden it's supposed to you know, heal, whatever. And I thought about offering it to Stephen Holder earlier this week. Uh, Stephen, how's the uh, how's the voice doing? You know what? It's it's slow going, man. You can, you can probably still hear that I'm hoarse. I don't know what it is. This is the most annoying cold in human history. <laughs> and I'm not like sick. I feel fine. I'm actually on my way to the gym. But I don't know what it is, man. I just I can't get my voice back right now. But that's probably for the better. 
So Shane Steichen will be happy to not deal with me, I guess, today. <laughs> James over here cackling. <laughs> it's like, do you want some uh, mysterious spray for the back of your throat? <laughs> Just wait till you get to you know, Stephen and I's age here. Okay, trust me. I'm open to anything. <laughs> I was going to say, if Jonathan Taylor gets traded and Stephen is having to appear on SportsCenter endlessly for the next 48 hours, he's going to be scrambling here to find something. Um, Stephen, let's begin there. You had some reporting yesterday in that it, and I want you to maybe kind of clarify that it sounds like the Colts are okay or at least there's been a mutual decision with Jonathan Taylor of, all right, you come here and rehab in the mornings and then you leave. Is that the same thing with him not showing up on Sunday to Lucas Oil Stadium? Like the Colts thought you'd be a distraction. Don't show up. Like how did that play out? That That's my understanding of it. So I, I don't think they said those words, to be clear. <laughs> but but I, but I think they understand, there is an understanding that this isn't helping anyone. And so it was suggested that Jonathan Taylor do what he needs to do and, and then, you know, just go ahead and, and see himself out. And, and that would be fine. And, and Jonathan Taylor was obviously fine with that plan. So I do think that, yes, at in the current state of things, that does appear to be the best course of action because, you know, let's be honest, uh, he, he still doesn't want to be there from all appearances, and uh, his status hasn't really been clarified. I mean, in the long term, I mean, uh, you know, they haven't resolved their issues, let's put it that way. And so, yeah, I, I think for now, it, it's what we said, you know, when they made this roster decision. It's what we said then. They have basically bought themselves some time. And at some point, though, you are going to have to deal with this situation, whether you you activate them and tell them to play or you just let them continue to stay on pup. Whatever it is, uh, there will have to be decisions made at some point on Jonathan Taylor. But that's where we are right now. Steven, when you look at the situation, when you asked about it with Chris Ballard, you asked him, what is the plan? There wasn't a real answer to that. So a few <laughs> weeks later, do you feel like the Colts have a plan or JT has a plan that involves any sort of, you know, coming to an agreement? No, I don't. I, I really don't. And and that's the thing. I, I know there is a, there is a thought out there, you know, among, among fans and, and it's not wrong. There's one thought like, Hey, He's under contract. There's there's nothing for the Colts to do here. He's got to show up and play when he's healthy, and and that's totally reasonable. I get it, but w- I would also say we are where we are, <laughs> and and you have a very pissed off player on your hands who is is obviously putting up a fight. And so at this point, it doesn't matter right or wrong. Right or wrong is completely irrelevant at this point. It's completely irrelevant. There, here's what we know: they need Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> they, they, they admit that Jonathan Taylor is a is an excellent football player. He would help their team right now, and so, given all of those realities, what are what are your options, and and how do you get him back on the field? I, I don't know how you do it. I'm, I'm just saying, that's what we do know, and and the one thing no one has has talked about throughout this thing, and and one thing I don't hear even now is compromise. I haven't heard that, and and I think that is. I said this to JMV the other day. I'll, I'll repeat it here. I think if there's one mistake that Chris Ballard made here, possibly the one possible misstep is that he came to Jonathan Taylor in, in May 
and and shared the team's position, which was that we we don't want to extend your contract this this off season or really before before next year. And I think that might have been the mistake. The mistake or the 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 option, the alternative might have been: look, right now this is where we stand, and we're open to something else. But but this is where we stand right now. Let's see where it goes. And I think had you taken that approach, you know, if you were truly honest about it, if you had taken that approach, you know, maybe Jonathan Taylor takes a different approach himself in, in coming to camp and being more willing to participate and, and having a, a different disposition. I think he probably would have. Um, I, I Maybe we end up here anyway. I don't know. But it, it certainly would not have slammed the door on the idea from jump. And I think that is what really – I think set the tone for all of this, and and that's really why they're here. Yeah, I think of the scene in The Wire where Weebay gets you know finds out that you know Kima is a police officer, and he has that look on his face where he look, looks around like, oh my gosh, that's kind of what I envisioned JT when they're like, hey, we're not giving you any money right now, and he just looks around like, oh no, this is not it at all. So, all of that in mind, what was your takeaway from that week one performance where obviously the running game consisted of Anthony Richardson and a whole lot of nothing after that? Well, um, it's what we thought, which is Anthony Richardson is their running game right now. Wait, they, so they couldn't scheme it all up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> as it turns out, you, you actually have to have a threat at running back uh, for the quarterback to, to really consistently be a threat. <laughs> so uh, it's weird how the NFL works. I mean, you know, people are smart enough to know you're not going to run the quarterback 18 times <laughs> in one game. So... Yeah, they're going to have to develop uh, a, a traditional running threat, and right now they don't have one, and and that's their biggest problem. Uh, look, I'm not suggesting that that they should run the the ball, you know, 30 times a game. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but but I am saying you you at least have to be able to get a yard when you need a yard. <laughs> I mean, uh, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about having a hundred <laughs> yard rusher. <laughs> We're just talking about on third and two. You need to be line up. You, you need to be able to line up and and get two yards. And, and that's the one thing I would say is that Jonathan Taylor, that is where he he was always great at. He was always great at doing that. You know, when the time came, uh, you his he did have some negative runs last year, but 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 historically, uh, he is not a guy who has negative runs and and always maximizes his runs. So if there's if there's a yard there, he gets a yard and a half. If there's if there's two yards, he gets two and a half. And and that's where in short yardage he would have been invaluable for the Colts. I mean, just think about how they converted a few more third downs. You give Anthony Richardson a fresh set of downs, and now maybe Shane Steichen can go back to you know some of those very creative. Um, formations and 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 some of the things that we saw that were very effective but I mean you can't do those things throughout the game you have to you know pull them out uh, periodically and sometimes you just got to line up and play traditional football and so anyway the point is you, you got to be able to convert I mean the third and fourth down conversions uh, that was losing football basically I, I don't take the name and the, and the the logo off the helmet it doesn't matter if you show me those conversions after a game, I'm going to tell you, okay, that, that team lost. 
Yeah, two of twelve on third down, one of five on fourth down. Certainly inexcusable to say the least. Stephen Holder's with us here from ESPN. Stephen, I do want to go back to Taylor for just a second um, before we move on and you know close the book on the Taylor-related topics. Um, three weeks from today, that is the first time Jonathan Taylor will be eligible to practice for the Colts. Coming off the pup list, he would be eligible that Wednesday, heading into Week Five. Based off what you know on September 13th, do you think he will practice and or do you think he will play in week five for the Colts? Wow, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. I All I can tell you right now is that there's, there still appears to be a lot of a lot of strife and in, in hard feelings in that situation. Now, what I would also say, and I know this is a – not not a direct answer, but but what I would also say is Jonathan Taylor, in my opinion, I think Jonathan Taylor needs to play some football at some point this year, and I just think you know for regardless of what the Colts' plans are for him, um, he he wants to be marketable in the spring. Okay, whether you want to get traded, whether you want you know to 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 be a, a free agent and shop yourself. Uh, whether you know you want to force their hand if they franchise you, whatever you want, right? As, as Jonathan Taylor, whatever outcome you're hoping for, uh, you're going to be you're, you're going to have a stronger hand if you've played good football this year. If, you, if your if your best football was two years ago, by that point, I don't think that helps you. So, as a long winded way of saying, Jonathan Taylor, it, it is there is. A point of view where it, it's in Jonathan Taylor's best interest to play some football at some point. Do I think he's still holding out hope of being traded? Yes. And so, you know, the date that you just talked about three weeks from now, there's still some time in between that and the trade deadline where he's probably hoping for for some kind of, you know, deal to shake loose. And I, don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, but even that, I, I think you could argue, if that's his goal, I think even for that, you could argue he should probably get out there and play and, and perhaps entice other teams to say, okay, maybe this is a guy we do want. So anyway, everything Jonathan Taylor wants ultimately out of this, the best route to getting it might be to play. And, and that's maybe not what he wants to hear or admit, but that's, that's probably the case. The Colts player you were most impressed with his individual play on Sunday was who? Hmm. Um... That's a good question. Um, I would say, I mean, Zaire Franklin. I mean, I, I'm not surprised. Let me be clear. And 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 I hope you know this isn't people taking it like, oh, you're, are you just waking up to Zaire Franklin? No, uh, I think what it is though is is him taking his game to another level. Yeah. I mean, James we, and I were talking we about know, that earlier. There were it yeah. wasn't just 18 tackles. I felt like there were a handful of really impactful plays, plays in space, not necessarily plays we're used to from him. That's right. That's right. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that I, I think we haven't talked about is that this defense, I think he's playing the mic in this defense. And, and the, the middle linebacker in in this scheme is is the playmaker. And so, you know, under Matt Eberflus, we see those plays kind of flow to Shaq Leonard. And and this, as, a, as I understand it, this defense is a bit different. And, and so it has really benefited – uh, Zaire Franklin, but but at the same time, you know, it's one thing uh, to be in position to make the plays, and then the question becomes, do you make them? And unquestionably, 
he is making all of them. And and I think him making plays in a passing game, which is something I think came up as well in the last couple of days, uh, I think that is really another uh, another indication of growth from him. You know, because, you know, it's one thing to make the tackles when they come your way. Uh, it's another thing to anticipate those passing lanes and understand route combinations and, and anticipate where that ball's going. And, and you have to do that to be an effective uh, linebacker in space in the NFL today. You know, there are a lot of guys who can go make tackles, but what's your impact in the passing game? And I, I did wonder if, if Zaire Franklin could grow into that kind of linebacker, and, and he is. And it's a great story. I, I would just say this to, to conclude. I mean, he, he was really salty about his lack of opportunities under Matt Eberflus. I mean, he has never made any bones about it, and he's been very vocal about that. And it, it was weird. I get it. Uh, Eberflus did not want to put Zaire Franklin on the field for whatever reason. I think it was a scheme fit kind of question. It wasn't anything personal. It was about the scheme fit. Whatever reservations there may have been there, I, I don't know. I can't speak to them. But all I can tell you is that he, he, is, a great, he is a really, really solid linebacker and and I think, you know, if this keeps up, you're talking about a Pro Bowl season for this guy. I thought that he looked really good, like you said. I thought that Shaq Leonard looked really good for his first game back since last November. EJ Speed got in there and made some plays. They have a really good, I thought, linebacker core. But you yeah. talked about the impact that some of those guys made in the passing game from a defense perspective. I'll flip it to the offense. What is your take on Alec Pierce and where he is early in year two? I do think there is something to to the Colts saying the ball didn't come his way. That that, that is true. That's fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, it's not a line. I, I think that that can happen. Um, but I I think what Alex Pierce has to do is is make himself. Uh, how do I say it? Like he has to he has to he has to play in such a way where. He's obviously the guy you throw the ball to. And and I, it's funny because we know that there's a willingness on Anthony Richardson's part to throw the ball to Alec Pierce because we saw that in training camp and, and I think in the preseason. But is there really trust yet? And, and that is a different question. That's one thing. The other thing I would say is it's also – true that the the two deep safeties were a problem now you know what is alec pierce's you know sort of meal ticket his meal ticket is is going down the field and, mm-hmm. and beating coverage and and you can't really you're gonna be reluctant to do that with those two deep safeties i don't anthony richardson is not throwing into double coverage you know that that's just he he's not quite there yet, and not not do I nor do I want him to be Josh Allen either in those situations. Oh I'm Lord, don't say that. The delicious are going right. to cut you off. <laughs> right now, there but there are situations where where you can you can see a matchup and and maybe the coverage is there, but you trust your receiver and you trust your ball placement, right? And so, but you know that that takes time. I don't think he's there yet. So he did the right thing. Shane Steichen is correct that that Anthony Richardson did the right thing and checked the ball down. So what I'm saying is I'm, I'm not worried about Alec Pierce just yet, uh, but, but I do think he did raise questions with his, his preseason performance. Uh, I'm not going to just give up on him because of that, but, but he definitely raised questions. So I'll be watching. I, I'm gonna, I think it bears watching, and it's up to him to, to prove that, that he is the guy they say he is. Steven, last one from me, and this is 
it's kind of an odd question, so I apologize for even asking it. But I, I feel like we, we heard a lot of chatter coming off the um, injury to Aaron Rodgers on Monday night at MetLife. Um, I think back to the national title game that Lucas Oil Stadium held a few years ago. Jamison Williams goes down at the torn ACL, and it, you know, even that night there was so much of the probably more of the NCAA like NIL chatter of this guy tearing his ACL on turf and in kind of an exhibition game, if you will. Have you ever heard anything about Lucas Oil and potentially changing from you know turf to natural grass? Obviously, from an ownership, multi-purpose standpoint, hosting other events, you know, turf is much more appealing than natural grass. But do you think that is something that there's actually traction to the NFL possibly getting that a little bit more in all 32 venues? Because certainly that was some of the chatter exiting Monday night as well. Yeah, I, I heard that chatter as well. N- no, I, I have not heard, to be clear about your, your question about Lucas. Well, I've not heard that. Uh, I do believe, am I, am I correct? Did they, did they recently change the I title? I thought they did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe they just did, right. Now, I don't know whether what they changed to is preferable or not. I have no idea. To be honest, if I had to guess, knowing the NFL and, and the way teams operate, it, it was more of a a durability thing or a cost thing or something like that that prompted that change rather than, oh, this is better for the players. <laughs> I mean, that's, that doesn't seem to have ever really been a driving force uh, for, for changes in, the, in playing surfaces, to be completely honest. And, and this goes back to your question. Uh, the, the, the changes in, in playing surfaces or the, the playing surface decisions have generally been about – you know, what can withstand weather and all those kinds of things. It, it rarely has been about, you know, what is safest, to be completely honest with you. And so, yeah, I mean, the union has really fought this and really pushed hard. But, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, how much leverage they've used in, in trying to, to get it changed, you know, because the union typically has to use up all their all, – all of their – you know, their, their might and their leverage in trying to get financial concessions, you know? So it, to, to then turn to the playing surface and to try to use some of their, some of their, their leverage for that, you know, it, it almost gives up, you know, some of their, some of their, you know, their leverage that they could use elsewhere that, which they do need, <laughs> you know? So I, I just think there's nothing really forcing the NFL to come to the table and really think about this. Now, what does make the NFL think is when a player like Aaron Rodgers goes down because nobody wins there, right? I mean, you think about all the lost ratings for those Jets primetime games this year, and there will be lost TV ratings, undoubtedly. You know, all those kinds of things, that's what gets the NFL's attention, uh, just unfortunately, all right? Even even Aaron Rodgers ultimately is a commodity, you know? And, and that's just what it is. That sports is a business. Let's stop playing. Let's stop pretending that it's something else. So I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, it would, I think it would honestly require, you know, a series of cataclysmic injuries like this to really prominent players for there to really be momentum to do, to do something about it. And, and that's not to say injuries won't happen on natural grass. They, they will. 
but but there's clearly evidence that that field turf does contribute to some of this. Yeah, it's kind of fitting that we bring this up because just in the last minute or so, Lloyd Howe, the uh, new director of the NFLPA, he released this statement. Moving all stadium fields to high-quality natural grass surfaces is the easiest division the NF- decision the NFL can make. The players overwhelmingly perform it, and the data is clear that grass is simply safer than artificial turf. Turf. It yep. is an issue that has been near the top of the players' list during my team visits and one I have raised with the NFL. He goes on to say that it makes no sense stadiums can flip over to superior grass services when the World Cup comes in a few years or or soccer clubs come to visit for exhibition games in the summer. Um, so I do think this is a topic that, you know, maybe it did take something as prominent as Rodgers on Monday Night Football in Week 1 yep. for it to really spur, but I'm curious to see how this unfolds moving forward uh all right steven we will see you here in a bit thanks for uh hopping on with us all right guys i'll see you soon all right our next guest a longtime nfl exec you see him on espn michael lombardi um he is joining us right now uh his new book out um is setting the record straight on the coaches and players and history of the NFL. Uh, the new book is Football Done Right. I love this quote from Bill Belichick, a masterclass in the history, philosophy, and art of football from a man who has seen it all. Michael, I don't know if you realize this, but coming up on Monday, that is September 18th, do you have any idea what anniversary that is for you? And in this market, it's not an anniversary that Colts fans want me to bring up. It's September 18th in Indianapolis Colt Market. No, I really don't. I mean, this will be great to hear. September 18th, 2013, you got a first-round pick in return for Trent Richardson. That's right. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's right. That was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, I never got a chance to make the pick. I got fired, but uh, that was great. I got to spend three more years with Coach Belichick in New England. And Jimmy Haslam paid me the whole way through, so it ended up working out well. I was yeah. happy with it. I'm good. Sounds like yeah. a win. I, I I find it a little odd that maybe I'm starting there, but there is some running back drama in this market r- r- right now. Can I tell you a story about that trade? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm at USC scouting. I'm on the road that week. We are going to play in Minneapolis. And so I went to the West Coast to do some scouting, and, I, and we're working through the trade. And I'm – I parked my car, I don't know if you've ever been to USC, but it's a downtown campus, kind of in a rough neighborhood, and I parked the car in the parking garage, and when the trade went through, I needed to get back to my hotel, I needed to call Trent, I needed to do all those things, so I'm on the phone, and I can't find my car in the parking lot. I I forgot where I parked it. You've ever had that happen to you before? You know, like an idiot, I didn't take a picture, so (laughs) I literally had to call security to drive me around, and when I'm calling security, I'm closing the trade of the deal, and I'm then talking to Trent Richardson and the woman who's in the car, uh, you know, here's all this. And I'm saying, ma'am, you cannot repeat any of this. And I chipped her and said, please, you cannot repeat any of this to anybody in your friends. Give me about four hours and you could tell everybody what you just witnessed. And that's what happened. <laughs> that is out- outstanding. I-, I guess I do have one more follow-up. I mean, for Colts fans, Vic Ballard goes down with the torn ACL. They just won 11 games in Andrew Luck's rookie season. W- what do you remember about kind of your initial interactions with Ryan Ryan Grigson when you know he called to, to inquire about training? Well, we, we felt like, uh, you know, Joe Banner worked with him at the Eagles, so we kind of felt like he was going to want to pull the pin on something. M- my biggest concern was 
Uh, I didn't want people to find out what I knew. And the longer we had him, they would have. And the longer we had him on our team, they would have seen what I knew. And that was what I was concerned. So if we didn't get this deal done with Ryan, it, we were going to, the value of the player was going to increase because his perception was tremendous. But the reality that I knew wasn't. Was that from a work ethic standpoint or fitness no, standpoint? No, no. Actually, I wrote about it. I, I wrote about it in this new book, and I wrote about it in Gridiron Genius too. It's when Brad, it's when when Brad Roll, our strength coach, was so happy in the summer. He came to me and said, "Oh my God, this guy's in incredible shape. We got him in incredible shape. This guy's incredible." Yada yada yada. And then when I went out in the field, and he didn't look like he could get to the edge. He didn't look like he had a burst. You know, he didn't look like he was going to be able to impact any way. And so when I saw that, I'm like, if this is the best he is, this isn't good enough. So there's no excuses. Nobody could say he's not in shape. Michael, when we look at the situation here in Indianapolis, obviously Jonathan Taylor is grabbing a lot of headlines, but the question I have for you relates to the personal side of it. When you're a general manager, there's obviously a lot of personal interaction. And so how much does that weigh into your decisions? Not necessarily what you're going to do, but how you go about doing it. Well, I mean, you know, there's the business side and the personal side. Look, we all, when we enter the NFL arena, we all understand the business side. You know, it's not, you know, it's going to be harsh. It's going to be challenging and it's going to be difficult. And you're going to make people uncomfortable and you're going to have an opportunity to piss people off. And, but you have to, as a general manager of a team, you have to put the team first. You have to put the franchise first. You have to protect the franchise. That's your job. Your job is to protect the franchise today, tomorrow, and two years down the road. So if you have to make a hard decision, that's why they pay you that money. I mean, they don't pay you that. It's like when, when Bobby Kennedy walked into the White House and John Kennedy said to him, how come every time you come in here, it's a hard decision? And Bobby Kennedy says, because I just solve all the easy ones before I come in here. The reason <laughs> they're paying you is because it's hard. It's hard. So – Knowing that it is hard and they're in a situation now where it feels very contentious and obviously they're in a standoff running back franchise, what would you do in this situation as a general manager knowing how valuable Jonathan Taylor is but also realizing there isn't much value if he's going to be very unhappy and doesn't want to be here? You know, when you join the Navy SEALs, right, it's a hard thing to do. It takes They take 175 people. Uh, candidates, and and by the end of it, there's only 25 that remain. And then to get into SEAL Team 6, it's even harder. But what happens to get into SEAL Team 6 is you have to have people that make SEAL Team 6 end up with high performers and high trust. But the next level of people that make SEAL Team 6 have, have high trust and maybe not as high performance. So what happens is you want to build a team around those kind of guys. And Taylor was one of those guys, high performance, high trust, when you listen to him talk in April. But when he started talking, when he got his new agent, all of a sudden, you know, his high performance, now we have low trust. Those guys you can't win with. That's not going to help. But here's the separate side. You have an asset in him. There's a perception that, you know, he's an asset. He is. They gave him every opportunity to look at the open market. They gave him every opportunity to have somebody put a deal in front of him at 17, 18, 20 million a year. No one did that. 
No one offered anything very good for him. And if you're going to be worth $17 million a year, if that's what you think your value is, then the, the Colts should get a first-round pick back for him. I mean, like it's not the Colts' job to make another team happy. It's not the Colts' job to satisfy this. We have taken this NBA mentality and tried to put it into the NFL. When the NFL has rules, and everything about the NFL is different than the NBA. The NBA players control their league. The NFL, the collective bargaining agreement controls the league that was negotiated by the players and by the owners. So it's a completely different thing. But the media seems to intertwine it all in. I mean, Chris Jones just held out. He got fined upwards. He basically lost $3 million. Now, the, the Chiefs were kind enough to try to get him $2 million back based on playtime incentives. But that holdout might be the most ridiculous holdout of all time. Why? What did he gain from it? He got bad advice. Just like Taylor's getting bad advice. Taylor's best advice would be go out there, play hard, rehab. Just exactly what he said in April. That was the best advice he could have had. But somehow this agent that he got convinced him that he was going to make everything go away and make all nice. And the guy ends up looking like a fool. If I'm Chris Ballard, I hang on to him. I learned from Al Davis, patience is a great virtue. I'll hold on to him. And if I decide to franchise him next offseason, it's because I feel like I can get more than a, comp- uh, than a compensatory third for him. Michael Lombardi is with us here on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Again, his latest book, uh, Setting the Record Straight on the Coaches, Players, and History of the NFL. Um, let's shift gears quickly to the New York Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson, Robert Saleh, pretty adamant. They you know, might make a veteran move, but it's no competition here. This is Zach Wilson's team moving forward. Uh, any surprise uh, from you with those comments? No, I, I actually, you know, I, I think to me, he, he doesn't have any recourse, right? So I, I don't know where people think you can find a quarterback on the open market. I, I think Kurt Warner comes around once every 500 years, right? Like, you're, you're not going to be able to go back to the Iowa Barnstormers and find another quarterback. You know, he kind of filled in for Trent Green. He was there. Mike March saw him. But they've got to make Zach Wilson into the best player they can make Zach Wilson he can be. they got to make Zach Wilson the best Zach Wilson. And then they've got to win the game. Football's a funny game, right? We talk so much about statistics and offensive football. But football's a game about offense, defense, and the kicking game. And sometimes you may not have the best stats, but you might win. That's the only important stat. So, to me, Salah's got to move on. It's got to be hard. It's hard. But today, no more talking about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers ain't on the team anymore. we got to move forward. We've got to be able to talk to the team about what we need to do to win the next game and how we have to play to win the next game, and how we have to manage manage Zach Wilson to win the next game. There's no savior flying in. You know, there's no one that you're going to be able to bring in that's going to make us a great team again. we just got to recover. Michael, I know you mentioned it earlier, but uh, before we let you go, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, history of the NFL, what will readers be getting with that? Well, I think you'll be getting a really a background on how the coaching trees of the NFL have been created who's responsible for that, the five great coaches I call White Oaks. I rank the top coaches. I then talk about how trades are made. I talk about how uh, the draft kind of came into play and the influence of the draft, the actual television, how television came in. I set a criteria for coaches to get in the Hall of Fame, which I think really desperately needs to happen. And then I rank the top 100 players and tell a story about each player that maybe fans don't know about and take them inside the game a little bit on how the player from the past would impact the game today.
Great, great stuff, Michael, with us. Uh, I think good memory lane for you, bad memory lane for Colts fans maybe 10 years ago coming up on Monday. I really enjoyed some of that insight, and uh, we look forward to reading the book. Thank you. Thank you so much.